Hello and welcome to GameSpot After Dark, episode 93. It's the crew, the Mass Effect crew, because, oh baby, it's a Mass Effect special. I am joined by Jean-Luc Seipke. Shepard. Lucy James. Shepard. Jordan Ramey. Shepard. Oh, that's a good trio of shepherds. <laughs> I'm going to do mine now. Shepard. Yeah, you've been practicing that one. Yeah, There's going to be so many that. people who have not played Mass Effect yet who are like, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> I mean, yeah. As mentioned in the, in the intro, this is going to be a Mass Effect heavy episode because the what you've been playing section is on my document is on our document. It's just Mass Effect all day. Just everyone's got Mass Effect next to their names. So lit up, lit up, lit up with Mass yeah. Effect. It's a massive effect on us. Um, so if you have zero interest in Mass Effect, what I would say is listen to this episode anyway because we def desperately need that <laughs> listening time, baby. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, let's skip to talking about Mass Effect because that's everything what, that we've been playing. So. To kind of preface this, what we're going to say is this is technically a review in progress for us. Um, it's going to be up on YouTube as a video, um, and it will likely be titled Review in Progress. And it's worth caveating that it's a different kind of review in progress. Usually when we do these things, we're a little further along in our playtime with a game before we do it. However, we got this game very late. I believe it was like 48 hours before the embargo lifted. <sighs> Um, mm. which is tight. Nevertheless, Jordan, who is reviewing it for us, has powered through and played a significant chunk of it. And the rest of us have also well. played the game. Um, I mean, you played <laughs> a some significant of chunk of game. the first one. Like. Yeah, the first game. Sorry, that's what I meant. <laughs> Forgetting that there's three games in this package. So, and the rest of us have also played a bunch of it. Um, so this discussion is different because we're going to be talking about it but the review itself is going to be an ongoing process for a, for for a little while, we imagine, because it's what three fifty-ish hour games. Um, so it'll be a while before we finalize it. But we still want to have some sort of uh, video out there that gives our impressions of where we're at with it. And I think that what makes it a little easier is we're very familiar with these games to the point where playing these remakes the changes are immediately evident to us mm -hmm. so we have a degree of confidence in speaking about the things that we've played thus far um and knowing that it's not going to be drastically different um so with that in mind let's get into it and go to jordan first as our reviewer um how are you finding it it's really Interesting, because Mass Effect 1 is the only Mass Effect game that I've only played a single time. I've played 2, 3, and Andromeda multiple times. But I played <laughs> the first one, like, for the very first time in, like, 2014, 2015. So, like, it was pretty old at that point. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna replay this game again. The combat has not aged very gracefully in the seven years since its release, at least on Xbox 360 here on the PC that mods did a fabulous job of trying to hmm. keep that game up to date. So this is my first time playing Mass Effect 1 for a second time. And man, combat's so much better. Like there are other improvements <laughs> in like other places, but combat is 
so so much better and i and i'm like oh i can i can probably play mass effect one like a few more times now because like i'm not accidentally mailing someone when someone charges in on me i can actually strafe around a target because the guns actually track the geth a little bit more easily i'm not like running for cover and then shepherd's just awkwardly standing there because they have to press another button in order to crouch it's just so much more seamless and mm -hmm. oh my god i love it so much yeah so, <laughs> so, so as, as a question for someone who has jean-luc for someone who has way more repeated playthroughs <laughs> than jordan and probably more than any of us like i've made yeah. maybe played that game twice um do, do the changes that jordan brings up as improvements to the combat um feel significant to you too yeah, uh, 300 hours according to Steam, and that's not even counting <laughs> the amount of times I've played on Xbox. I have played Mass Effect 1 so many times. It's one of my favorite games. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I was like just replaying it on PC like the day before um, to like capture some footage for our graphics comparison that we did. And switching from that to the Legendary Edition changes, it was like immediately apparent. Uh, like the... It, just... So, like, Mass Effect 1, uh, when you, like, the opening guns you get, it, it, it's, like, they were very much, like, Bioware trying to, you know, they never really made a shooter before, so they were figuring out, like, RPG mechanics into guns. So, like, assault rifles just had, uh, like, this crosshair that took up, like, a third of the screen, bullets would fly everywhere, you wouldn't hit jack shit it was so bad like it took like hours and hours and hours before you got a gun that even like felt somewhat decent to shoot immediately changed that it still is like don't go into this like after playing like mass effect 2 or 3 and being like it's gonna feel exactly like that like i think the underlying uh mm -hmm. faults of the combat system are still kind of present but uh yeah just just the immediate feel of the guns is such a vast improvement and like jordan said i think it's just like you, you don't feel like uh you're 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 wrestling with it like i that, that's always sort of like the big caveat with mass effect one is like ah oh man like the story is great and the characters and the world building maybe put it on casual and don't really care about the combat <laughs> and like i think they've it, it it's now in a place where it feels like you can actually engage with the combat and have like a decent time i do think it still has like i said some flaws especially when you get to some of the side content where the difficulty kind of spikes in odd places yeah. like uh some of that enemy ai is 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 rough and some of the powers are are wildly out of balance uh well that's the thing i was i was gonna bring up so they've tuned weapons like weapons feel so yeah. much better and the fact that you're not restricted on which weapons you can use anymore. Like, mm. I can finally be the biotic with the sniper rifle and just, like, have a good time doing that. Speaking of snipers, oh my god, snipers are so good in this one. So, so like, I, <laughs> I am terrible at sniping in every other game. And I was like, I always see, you know, people talk about being the infiltrator um, with the sniper rifle. So I was like, I'm just going to have a go. And I was like, oh, this is so much fun. This is, like, my new favorite way of playing. Sniper um, rifles were literally, like, unusable because the, the sway would be, like, yeah, it's it like Shepard like, was just drunk constantly. Like, like it was impossible to shoot anything unless you were on, like, like, I literally, because I played on, like, PC, I would, like, learn how to, like, 
the timing of the sway and like, like that's how i would like use those sniper rifles like i just got good at the jank mm. <laughs> but like this is like oh it's just you zoom in just, you, aim, you just zoom in and, and it you works. shoot someone like a normal video game. <laughs> the one, the one thing that I would say though is st- that I still have like the biggest issue with when it comes to combat is the powers. Like you mentioned, some of them are um, overpowered, but also it's because, and I know this is you know within me, is that I get used to playing Mass Effect two and three, mm. where the powers like know where they're supposed to be going like they will curve around uh chest high crates and they will hit the person behind and in mass effect one it's like you have to make sure it's targeted but it's not accidentally targeted behind because some powers won't hit if Mm -hmm. it's if you're if your targeting is just like slightly off and also you you pretty much have to be like in a direct line to hit people Mm -hmm. um but saying that when you do manage to get like a good combo going, you know, I finally have Liara in my party and I finally got Singularity unlocked and I've got Tally as well. So I finally feel like I've got a decent balanced party and now I'm just like ripping through it. And it's a mm. lot. I, I, I'm going through, I just did Therum and the encounters that I remember taking me like the Krogan Battlemaster, when you're after yes. you're like freeing the art, that guy. I saw that cutscene so many times yep. when the first time mm-hmm. I played the game because it was so difficult and it and like that encounter was just so much better. Like and I and I know that they've been working on like changing up boss encounters like that, but that was the first one I did and I thought I was like, oh okay, it feels I, fairer. <laughs> I have to re- re- recall, like go back to the original, but I'm pretty sure. They added like a cover directly in front of Shepard when that cutscene starts, which they did not have in the original. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, and I was like, "Oh, they, they know. They know people yeah. hated this." It's, it's, yeah. it's legit as well. And they, I change. I think they changed the AI on that boss because he was hiding behind a crate, not doing anything. For mm. like, he was hanging back for a long time, and the Geth would like separate out. And then at the end, once the Geth were dead, that's when he would come in. And I was like. I, I genuinely wonder if that was a legitimate change they made because they mm. had so much feedback about that stupid boss. <laughs> yeah, so kind of like bring it full circle on the combat. I think Jean-Luc pretty much hit the nail on the head where the combat is still not the main draw of the first Mass Effect. It's the kind of thing that is a... I want to say a necessary evil, but that paints it in a perhaps more negative light than I n- intend it to. It's the thing that kind of... It's the glue that holds the rest of it together, mm. but the rest of it is far more important. And the kind of um, the 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 mo here, or the kind of ethos and the objective from Bioware, was to kind of try and raise the quality of the combat. So it's kind of trying to be somewhere in the ballpark near Mass Effect Two and Three, which are considerably mm. better. And I think uh, Jordan and you guys can tell me whether you disagree, but like, I don't think it gets there, but it gets high enough where you can recommend playing Mass Effect. Um, yes. Yes. one as an entry point yeah. again yeah and i know i that... no longer have to tell people just start with mass effect 2 and do the genesis which... comic i can actually like tell them it's like you can start That's with mass uh, effect 1 again and, and it's like <laughs> i understand that like it's like this weird like i totally get where you're coming from jordan but i'm also like but there's so much good stuff in mass yeah. effect 1 and like we'll get into that yeah. but like that's the most exciting thing about this this yeah i, I guess me. it was like it's yeah just... i guess it was like you would you would 
kind of make the recommendation based on who you're talking to right because if you yeah. know you're you're speaking to someone who is really into shooting gameplay and and kind of like combat then you you can't really recommend them that game even if you know there's great storytelling <laughs> and characterization because uh, like putting it cruelly if their lizard brain wants to shoot and the shoot is not good they're just going to yeah. be like, I don't care about any of it. <laughs> now it feels like where we can go, listen, Lizard Brain, the shoot is okay. And it's okay enough for you to fall in love with mm. uh, Tally. Or I was going to say, have you been playing um, Disco Elysium recently? <laughs> <laughs> like Lizard Brain. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to note that there are elements of the combat that because of the nature of the review in progress, or not the combat, the gameplay itself, we haven't, Jordan hasn't fully been able to experience and none of us have really, which is kind of like the different pacing on levels and character development and progression. Oh, I beat that, the game already. Oh, you've beat what? it? Yeah, what? I already beat it. I beat it last <laughs> when? night. When? When have Jeez, you slept? Louise. <laughs> I beat it last night and then I already started two. Okay then. So jo John Luke can speak to this. What's what's the uh, what's that kind of change? What's the impact of that um kind of uh the the squashing of the level progression? Is so, is there anything? So I would say the yeah, because they change it now where instead of going all the way up to 60, you can like squash it down to 30. You can also go back and change that if you prefer the classic one. Mm -hmm. Um Personally, I found the pacing of uh, like abilities and, and skills to feel really good. Like I was able to get to the end of the game and I had pretty much gotten, I think it was like level 20 out of 30. And I had gotten pretty much all the major skills I cared about. I maxed out my charm uh, and stuff like that. So it felt it felt like a good balance. I also felt like the combat, it does the same thing that the original Mass Effect does. Where, it, Like I said, it starts off like man, all my equipment's garbage. And by the end, you have such good equipment that you're kind of just steamrolling everything. Like I I was playing on normal and I, I the ending boss was like kind of a joke because I just had like the best assault rifle in the game uh, that I bought mm. from uh, the Citadel. There was a weird part in the middle um, where I was doing a couple side missions where the, the power curve was way off what it should have been. Um, and I think that's just because I wasn't doing every single side mission in the game. So I did this one particular one and it like kept kicking my ass. Um, but that felt like a weird outlier. I would say overall, it's I, the, the power curve is actually like very similar to how it was in the original game. It's just like it feels better because like the shooting feels good. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Go I was going to ask, I didn't realize, God, I didn't realize you'd be in it. How different, <laughs> did you notice any major differences between um some of the other boss fights i know we talked about the i was because i think the i think the asari commando might have mm. the asari commando is the one that i'm I curious about was curious i have to go back and play that original one i actually didn't notice that many changes to that fight i was like mm. thinking about that as i was playing and i was like is there more cover or is like maybe the pacing of the way enemies because that fight like multiple enemies kind of keep coming out in different rooms yeah. mm -hmm. um I didn't notice anything too different. I didn't notice anything different with the final boss fight as well. That was pretty much uh, the same. So if there is no. a change there, it was pretty minor. Um, but I am going to go back and, and hop in the original and compare them more directly because I am, I am curious. But uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't notice too much. So one question. You mentioned that the boss towards the end was a bit of a joke. Um, or was very easy does that take away anything from like the crescendo of 
of the actual game because obviously traditionally speaking <laughs> you want you want the final boss but like my, in my mind i'm guessing i'm thinking back to it and i don't remember caring that whether the boss was challenging or not i remember the narrative payoff being the main thing yeah. is that still the case so I, I would say so it's hard for me to say because like i said i've beaten this game so many times that like <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't have that i long have lost that that perspective of the first time i just playing. imagine you I, I just imagine the shepherd that you just played being the same shepherd who's gone through this 20 times and it's just like dead-eyed <laughs> groundhog day now and it's like I've done this 21 times. For real, though, it's like I know all the dialogue. I'm just like, yep, if I do this, I'll go there. And okay, I'm going to do this because that'll be the optimal route to, you know, get mm. this decision. Um, but no, I, I, it personally was fine to me because also it was like I had earned that in a sense that like I spent all my money buying a very specific like assault rifle that I knew was going to be really, really good. Right. And so it, it is that sort of like rpg fantasy of like oh i just i bought the best gear i should be able to steamroll everything to some degree um but yeah i like it i i didn't mind the the boss fight still because again i'm i'm with you where it's like that final boss fight is okay it's more about like the story that's happening around that boss fight than the actual Mm -hmm. fight itself yeah so so we talked about kind of like the bioware's uh, objective being to raise the quality of mass effects combat which is also the same for its visuals, which are another major area of improvement in Mass Effect One, uh, Jordan, how did you how did you take the visuals? What do you what do you make of the the work done to Mass Effect One to make it a little more visually pleasing? I say I'm of two minds with the visuals. There are some visual changes that I really really like. I I love what they've done with Eden Prime. I had like no. Uh, real nostalgia for its original red sky lightning into the world feel and i really enjoy what they've done changing how it looks in the new one and upping the appearance of certain characters especially your alien squad mates the details on Mm. garris's face is just really really good but then on like the other side there are some moments where i'm like man they just applied like a little too much like lighting to this scene like especially for some of the human characters that are darker Udina, or, what is going like, on with that man skin anderson Udina. in certain scenes like the lighting is just i don't know maybe maybe it's the lighting a little bit off or some of the textures not working with the lighting i can't really tell i'm not a game developer so i don't know too much about it but it just looks off and i'm like it's yeah it's a little unfortunate Udina at some point it's like has a he when you're when you first meet him in the citadel embassies like he has a weird silver sheen and it's mm. clearly like coming from the reflections within the citadel because when later on he his skin tone is like back to normal but it, it there are those like moments where the lighting maybe just doesn't cooperate with the human models too much and it does just look a little bit jarring hmm what what did you what did you make of the kind of changes um visual changes jean luc uh i am very very mixed on the whole thing uh i i agree with jordan where it's like i think th- all the aliens look great because i think it preserves the original spirit and just like cleans and elevates them same thing with like armor uh and any any sort of like clothing like it all just looks really sharp and clean you go back to that original game and they look like 720p textures blown up and they're just like oh they're rough to go back to the overall 
tonal change though in terms of like just like the set dressing and the lighting is so dramatically different and i i don't think i like a lot of it i so to give an example like for it's like a good example that i think is actually like okay is like a uh, the uh, Presidium in <laughs> on the Citadel. If you look at that and you compare it to the original, it's very different. It 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 is it is more different than I think you would think it is. Um, but it looks a lot like Mass Effect 3's version of the Presidium. So it feels like they're trying to line it up with mm. Uh, mm. how it looked like in the later games. And I kind of started to realize, like, I feel like that is probably the lens that they made a lot of the changes for was trying to cohesively line up one to aesthetically kind of match two and three more hmm. so for example the wards uh look very different because the skybox is no longer this like you know dark city with like all the lights of the the citadel it's now very bright and it gives that whole area a different feel uh a lot of the harsh lighting is uh is gone so like there would be areas where like characters were just like bathed in like a blue or, or reds and, and that is significantly toned down and I do, I do feel like it kind of loses some of the unique visual identity that that first game had. Um, it, it it gives it a very different look, and mm. I'm I'm curious to see how everyone feels about it because I think everyone's going to have kind of their own take if they prefer it or not. Um, and you know, obviously, I I have the perspective of having played <laughs> so much Mass Effect One that I'm like so accustomed to how that looks, but uh, I, I think it does ruin some shots. Like there there is a there's a scene with um, Saren um, after Eden Prime, and mm -hmm. there's they have this scene where he's he's basically like looking straight at the camera, and he's kind of got his uh, hand uh, covering his his face, but you can see his eye shining through in the original. Mm. In the new one, the lighting is different, and you can't see his eye at all. So like the whole framing of that shot doesn't work anymore. And then because they've lit the in the original, everything is very much bathed in darkness. You can't really see much outside of like Saren and, and Benezia there. In the new one, they've lit everything. So now you can see the background and you can see this sort of like kind of stark, empty environment that yeah. you weren't really supposed to see. <laughs> mm. So you get a lot of weird things like that where it's like by by trying to kind of brighten up, you, you see more of the flaws in some of like the environment that they were kind of trying to mask with that very uh sort of like intense saturated lighting that they were going for uh it's yeah it's just i don't know it, it's so different and I, it's I closer that... to one and two but like or sorry it's closer to two and three but i think it's just like yeah. one had such a unique look because mm -hmm. of that lighting that it, it does feel like it it kind of got lost. I think the th the thing that you picked up on that is really interesting to me is like the the i the visual identity of Mass Effect One in its original form that was created almost by accident by like the I don't know about the limitations but like the implementation of of like the lighting systems back then like those a lot of that stuff felt like it wasn't intended to be that way, but because it was that way, it became a stylistic choice that we yeah. associated with Mass Effect. Like those rooms that you walk into and there's characters just bathed in a red light. And it clearly doesn't, It you look around the room and you're like, this probably isn't the way they wanted it, but you remember it in your head that way. It's iconic. And that shot of Saren with his eye 
glowing that way. I don't know if they meant it that way, but it's certainly something has been lost because of it. Um, at the same time, there are other things that, I don't know, maybe my memory is like bad, but like mm. sometimes I'll go into an environment and be like, oh, snap, I don't remember that or I've forgotten it. And the fact that I'm seeing it in this way is so powerful. Like on Eden Prime, for example, the the Reaper in the distance, that's mm. like yeah. as you're approaching, it's like lifting off so slowly. I, when the I played smoke that, trailing you know, after it, yeah, yeah. exactly, so cool. and like that was like genuinely like stopped me in my tracks, and that was the first place that I pulled up the photo mode on, and spent a good fifteen twenty minutes lining up an amazing shot of like Shepard looking like from a really low angle shot looking up at this towering mm. Goliath of a thing, and I was like, that's really cool, and I. Yeah. And I know yeah. that, like, my memory is rubbish, but I don't think it stood out with such stark contrast back in the day. Because, like, in the same way that um, the, some of the weird technicalities of lighting in the old version created iconic moments, they also could have lost iconic moments. And those ones are being created now in the new version. Like, that yeah. feels like the new iconic, a new iconic moment I, for me. It wasn't in the original. I, I will agree to that on some level, because I... I the final planet you go to um is ilos uh is like this ruined city and i remember it looking really cool in mass effect one but not really fully understanding like exactly what they were going for with it there's a level of clarity to how it looks now that i was i found myself looking around a lot more and appreciating mm -hmm. like oh this is like a city and i'm in this like kind of courtyard area here and I, I found myself like kind of getting more what like they were trying to go for with the mm. environment in a way that i didn't uh so yeah like i it, it is that's why it's like it's a mixed bag because it is like this it feels like some things maybe are highlighting more of the original vision that the limitations right. weren't able to capture yeah. or and, mm. and and also like to be fair like for all my gripes it is a lot of fun to just like see these environments in, in mm. kind of a new way with a new coat of paint like it it did bring up this like renewed nostalgia uh where it's mm. like oh like you know seeing vermeyer like this lush with like the water and and the plants mm. like it 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 does it does capture a, a certain mm -hmm. like spirit to it so so those are the two main big changes and in a lot of ways the game's the same for the most part the rest of it um so with that in mind, like Lucy, how does the rest of the game hold up? The things that people know and Mass Effect and love Mass Effect for, the writing, mm. the characterization, how is that holding up for you? Um, all these years later, um, has the passage of time kind of dulled any of the impact of that at all for you? Honestly, no. And so we, I mean, as a team have been revisiting sort of Mass Effect lore, etc., quite a lot recently. Um, and even though I've been spending all that time just re-watching cutscenes and kind of doing that to, I don't know, like get ready for Legendary Edition, even when I'm in the game and it's my Shepard talking to Tally and it's my Tally and, you know, she's explaining the the plight of the um, the Quarians and, you know, their relationship with the Geth. It's still so impactful. And I'm genuinely like, it, it's, it's so funny because it's like a game that I've, 
seen and played so many times that it's like even now when I'm going around the Citadel and it's like oh this is the bit where I get to go see Garrus like oh I get to go see Rex um and I immediately like the first thing I did was go to uh get Liara and you know those characters are still incredible and I think they're like just kind of going back and seeing them at the beginning knowing what you're about to go through kind of makes it for me even more impactful mm. I think if you are new to Mass Effect, um, I think you're still going to be in it for a fantastic ride. Like that mm. opening when it's, you know, Shepard like staring out of the window and you get the brief kind of explanation of what's happening and you're thrown into the fire um, is is still incredible. And, you know, our friend Simon is playing and he's texting us at the same time. And he's like, I'm into this. Like, I've just spent two hours walking around the citadel talking to everyone because i just want to know more about this world and that is the thing that bioware does so right it's like in all of their games but especially in mass effect where the world is right and the world building is right like it has mm. rules it has law it has history that's so rich and so dense and so whatever story you tell in it um especially one that's as like just well done as mass effect it's it's just gonna work and it does and it's still like some of the lines is just still so iconic and still so good mm. and time hasn't tarnished them at all. There's a couple of things with like we played the beginning of Mass Effect 2 uh on stream today and there's the bit where like Shepard says, I'm gonna haul Joker's crippled ass out of here. <laughs> and it's like that's not you know, twenty twenty one was but that? I, to be fair, was that Renegade Shepard saying that? I would say that has to be Renegade. That has to be Renegade Shepard. Yeah, I think he did Renegade Shepard. <laughs> yeah, we did do. We did. We did Paragon from Emmy One, Renegade for two, and then which, uh, which in which case, to be fair, that is a very Renegade thing. Like if yeah. if if Shepard tweeted that, he would get cancelled. You can be yeah. space racist in Mass Effect One as Renegade Shepard. So there's yeah. true, yeah. and obviously Ashley is space racist. So. Mm-hmm. So just to wrap up kind of the discussion around um, uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, Jordan, um, just kind of like summation of your impressions so far. And uh, obviously you played it once, I believe you mm -hmm. said, but you, yeah. you haven't come back to it. Is it. Is it something that you're glad that you're able to experience again? And how does it make you feel about the prospect of playing two further games that you're more familiar with? I say I'm really enjoying it. It feels almost like I'm playing through parts of it again because I played it only once and that was seven years ago. So it's been a really long time. So I am able to play through parts of Mass Effect 1 and be like, I have no idea what's supposed to happen next. I'm like, oh, right. I'm going to Novaria next. This is going to be cool. I can't remember anything that happens during this mission. Um, I think it's going to... I think it works to attract a new audience in. I'm enjoying it a lot more than I ever did, primarily because of the improvements to combat. And it's really, I think it's going to be really cool to just get a better grasp of how certain aspects of the original Mass Effect evolved into the rest of the trilogy and influenced other Bioware games like Dragon Age, seeing things like helping Garrus track down a doctor, getting the armor for Rex, become the loyalty missions, mm -hmm. uh, how Paragon and Renegade choices evolve with interrupts and stuff like that in the later games. It's cool to go back now and play the original 
Mass Effect and be like, oh, there were a lot of things in Mass Effect 2 and 3 that I liked that I didn't really see in the Mass Effect 1 the first time I went through because I was kind of not enjoying the combat, so I was not enjoying the game as a whole, and I was just kind of like trying to get through it. And now that I can kind of stop and enjoy my time and go through it and do more missions because I'm enjoying the shooting aspect of it, I'm noticing a lot of really cool things about the game that will inform what the rest of the trilogy evolves into. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think we're all pretty excited about going into the next few games as well because mm. those games are considerably better in my mind and that's where all the all the things that the the mass effect um uh, the first mass effect kind of laid down as a foundation really start firing on all cylinders um and really they as michael hyam would say hit different um <laughs> but yeah make up mako though yeah mako like i was gonna it's say still, is it is still it, what? not like <laughs> <laughs> what, it's what not great, things... but it's closer to what the Nomad is that what it is in Andromeda. It's, so it controls yeah, a it's... little bit better. <laughs> it's <controls laughs> yeah. a little bit better, but it's not. I mean, the Nomad was done by the Need for Speed team, and you can really tell. <laughs> I mean, the, make, the Nomad the the nom is trying its best. The Nomad drove well, but it also teleported into environments that it should absolutely not have been in. Mm. Um, like, I remember doing a area, a cave with a jump puzzle, but instead of being Shepherd, not Shepherd, Rider, um, like using my jetpack, jumping from platform to platform, I was like, screw it, I'm going to do this with my car and I did it and I did it and it got to the point where I wedged the car into such a small space that the geometry got so confused that it just crashed the game it was like oh, we're done you're oh, out no. <laughs> and I was like okay and then when I reloaded the game I like carried on I, I was I was as rider and I like got back to where it was and the car was still lodged in a corner of the geometry <laughs> I was like didn't dump that from the ram did you buddy <laughs> so uh, I make do want to mention been use... improved oh, but it's it. not it's not yeah don't expect huge, huge things. It's different. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to be drifting. You're not going to be doing any yeah. wild business. But it does its job of getting around. I wanted to mention because you mentioned uh, reloading the game, and like I totally glossed over this in the review in progress because I think the Series X has just spoiled me on it now. The load times in Mass Effect One, so so much faster, so much better. Oh. The I think the worst part about dying to that. Krogan uh, after saving Liara a bunch of times was the fact that you had to wait through like a 25 minute loading oh, yeah. screen like every and, single time you died scene. yeah and so now scene. it's just like oh you died well just press A to continue and we'll like spin the wheel for a second and a half and you're back yeah. into it I'm like this is wonderful <laughs> An another thing worth mentioning going off of that is the checkpointing in the original Mass Effect was basically non-existent like Bad. you would lose yeah. hours of progress if you didn't <laughs> manually save they have fixed that they do actually have checkpoints now like I, there are very clear uh like checkpoints that happen in the legendation that i specifically have like horror stories of like lose dying there and getting sent all the way back so i'm like okay they've added checkpoints still not perfect though so i do still recommend saving especially when you go to the uncharted worlds the uncharted worlds don't like to auto checkpoint so save a lot anyway because you might make a choice that uh that you regret and you want to go back and change it no 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 you can't you can't go back <laughs> stick with your stick with your decisions <laughs> with that in mind are there any 
things that you've picked up on as you know standing out as being particularly egregious in uh, not being good i mean for me a lot of the a lot of it is like some of it is like fundamentally what mass effect is like uh, some of the planet exploration stuff and yeah. that kind of stuff like it's not great um but is there anything really egregious that is worse now and was in the last game or because of the changes other than perhaps like aesthetic and stuff and uh, right. uh presentation changes is there anything that really sticks out that you feel like needs to be brought up just in case people are going into it expecting a perfect i mean no game's perfect but needs to be raised yeah i would say kind of to what you said like it's i think more a byproduct of Mm-hmm. what mass effect was when it released in 2007 mm-hmm. like the way that liara kind of just throws herself at you like the romances in general oh, i think in the yeah. first mass effect game like they do not match what they will become in mass effect 2 and mass effect 3 so i think if you play the first mass effect and you're like <laughs> i can't believe people are like oh i love romancing garris like because the romances in this mass effect game just aren't good at all it's like give it another game i swear they get significant the jump (laughs) in quality from one to two is very extreme (laughs) yeah i I did the r this romance and i was like oh this dialogue is bad like bioware has come a really long way with that stuff and yeah maybe that that that's for me probably the most thing is just like some some dialogue is is feels maybe like a little stiff a little unnatural in spots um some of the pacing that game that game does take a while to like really get going you know like you have eaten prime and you have the citadel and that stuff's all great in its own way but it takes a while before you like properly get your ship and and kind of get the freedom to explore also uh i think as much as i appreciated it back in the day like how methodical it was where it's like you need to fly back to the citadel and then you you land and then you gotta take the elevator down to the you know c-sec and then you can like fast travel in Mass Effect 2 and 3, you can just fast travel to any spot on the Citadel immediately when you go there. So, like, stuff like that eventually mm-hmm. grates on you, especially if you're doing a lot of side quests and you're going back to the Citadel. Like, you will get very comfortable with that hangar and that elevator. It <laughs> it's is like, still, why is there not a fast travel thing right ig- outside exactly, the Normandy? Exactly. <laughs> like, that's all they needed to do to fix it. And, uh, like, little stuff like that where you're like, okay, they ironed these kinds of quality of life stuff in in later games like that's that stuff's still present mm. they don't fundamentally change any of that mm. okay cool. egregious i can think of but i will i would i do want to give a shout out to the achievement and trophy list just being oh, yeah. so much better <laughs> so much better the companion like, trophies and achievements alone the companion like... one so previously in order to get like the full thousand g in original mass effect you had to complete the majority of the game with each uh, uh, squad mate so mm-hmm. that would mean that you would have to do essentially three runs this one they've changed it to do five missions so I I got Garrus and Rex their achievements uh, their trophies sorry before I even left the Citadel the first time mm-hmm. like because mm-hmm. side quests count and so they've just improved it and I think you can actually I think you can platinum Mass Effect 1 by itself in one playthrough because the insanity trophies are you know you've got a trophy list for one two and three and then you have mass effect legendary edition trophies so and also it like it stacks across playthroughs so in my my mass effect one playthrough i was doing throw 
And then I started another playthrough for the stream and I got the trophy for the throw one in that, hmm. even though it was a different character. So it's like yeah. a lot of quality and life mm. improvements there too, and but they should be. I think that has a like a really good implication on you the play experience in the game. Like, cause I don't know about you, but my instinct immediately was to just peace out everyone. Like the moment I got Garrus and Rex, I was mm-hmm. like, see you later, Ashley and Caden. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But now see I'm like the most boring yeah. squad mates in the but game. But now now I'm like, I, I can I can deal with these two for five missions. Yeah. And yeah. and that will be more of the, uh, more of those two characters I experienced than perhaps ever before because in the same way I pieced them two out immediately in the original mm-hmm. games yeah so that helps oh other hot tip for for players for starting who've never maybe never played one is um it, uh like hacking like safes and stuff like that uh requires you to have a companion who is an engineer class or has like engineering skills uh specifically i think it's called decryption if you mm-hmm. don't have anyone in your squad with decryption you just can't open safes yeah. at all don't and that that screwed me over when i was trying to do rex's mission to get his armor because it is in a safe oh. and i yeah. was like i'll bring rex and liara and i'm no, not an tally. engineer and i was like nope all right gotta reload my save so uh that is a, a kind of annoying thing so that's a hot tip hot, hot tip keep that that's in mind or make shepherd uh, an engineer and then you just don't have to ever worry about it for more Mass Effect Legendary Edition hot tips, you can check out GameSpot.com, <laughs> where there is a written feature that is designed and catered to newcomers. Um, and we've got a bunch of other content on uh, the website and on YouTube. Uh, I'll run you through a couple of them. You guys can jump in because there's so much we're doing mm-hmm. and call them out. So we've got the lore videos. Um, mm-hmm. The latest one going up is about... Reapers, I think it is. Yep, Tam, you wrote this, so yeah, that's right. oh, yes, that is my one. one. <laughs> yeah, that's my most one. recent one. Uh, Reapers, yeah, uh, we've got Reapers. <laughs> we've got a bunch of others in that series as well. I mean, I mean, we're all biased, but um, as people who have enjoyed a lot of lore videos in in our time, we've I think we've built a pretty good um, kind of mindset and skill set for making lore videos, mm-hmm. and then we applied that to our one of our all of our favorite franchises of all time so i mean like i said bias but those lore videos are bangers like they're real good go in there and watch them <laughs> beyond that mass effect legendary edition um stuff uh jean-luc you've got um a comparison video up right mm-hmm. yep uh showing off uh changes for i show off all the major characters i showed off eden prime then i showed off the citadel um, so if you want to kind of get an example of maybe some of those like visual changes that I was talking about, I think mm-hmm. that video is a good, a good place to see that stuff. Nice. And then Lucy, you put up a bunch of gameplay videos, right? Yeah. So I did character creator, taking a look at the new hairstyles and makeup options. And as well, I did like the first 40 minutes. So we did Eden Prime and then Tam and I streamed, uh, like an hour of one, hour of two, bit of three, and then went back to one today. We did like a four-hour stream. Mm-hmm. We were like, yeah, we'll just do it for a couple hours. And then it was just, yeah, Mass Effect. So it's we just kept effect. going. Uh, yeah. So that should be archived on YouTube. We're also in the middle of, um, we're working on the feature that we interviewed Bioware for. So we've got, you know, like Mac Walters um, and a couple other folks from there, uh, to talk about kind of their favorite moments, like the moments that made Mass Effect to them. So please look out for that one. We're going to be mm-hmm. doing that next week. And then Jordan, apologies, I'm going to speak for you a bit here, but you've put up your um, 
review in progress, which is basically early impressions of Mass Effect 1. But um, the plan is for you to continue playing, um, play through the entire uh, collection, and then update your review and finalize the score, right? And then yep. we'll probably knock out a, a video review with all that finalized, um, which maybe Jean-Luc, likely Jean-Luc will edit. <laughs> Jean-Luc's yeah, emotion. I'm sorry, Jean-Luc, like he... you're going to be on one more yeah. Mass Effect. <laughs> you up your fingers. Like, he loves it. He loves it. I'm ready. Oh, I'll, I'll do Mass Effect stuff all day. Okay. <laughs> Great. There you have it. Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Cool. Let's move on to listener questions. If you would like to send a listener question in, you can email us at afterdarkpodcast at redventures.com. No, no, I changed it. You I fixed it. You I fixed, fixed it. it. So I, well, actually, I don't know if I did fix it. Did anyone get an email from my personal email that just said test? Uh, Live on stream, we are checking to see if the email has been fixed. Uh, I didn't get anything. No, nothing. Fuck. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to IT, but I did try and change <laughs> it. So it was just after dog podcast at games after at gamespot.com. So no. maybe just try out redventures.com. Maybe send them both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just send it to both. <laughs> yeah. I would recommend if you would like to send a listener question in, you send it to afterdogpodcast at redventures.com for now. Or you can hit up the uh, GameSpot After Dark Discord, which is a very wholesome place full of lovely people who enjoy video games, anime, manga, fitness, all kinds of discussions going on in there. Um, you can hit myself, I think Jean-Luc as well, and mm -hmm. um, Lucy up on Twitter if you want an invite. Um, keep in mind, we will check your history. If you are wrong, and mm -hmm. we will find you and we'll deny you access. Remember. Um, first question. Lucy, can you read it, please? Yes, I can. So this is from Jackson. Uh, hello, After Dark crew. My name is Jackson, and I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. Just discovered your podcast a few weeks ago, and I've been watching GameSpot for a while. Anyways, I was wondering, what are your thoughts on failed video game consoles, such as the Ouya and the strange Atari VCS? Brackets, probably not failed, but I was surprised to find out it was released in January. That's failed. <laughs> yeah what i'm like now i don't even know what this is <laughs> yeah now then yeah. console generation just got released p.s love the podcast so glad lucy and tam are back please don't go away again and why did jake decker leave <laughs> Aww. Aww. Um, well jackson uh jake kind of spoke about that on the podcast but like yeah, he's yeah. doing well we still talk to him all the time and yeah. he's sorry the pod father uh, the pod father oh my god yeah um, so how do you guys feel about um, failed consoles? Like, I think failed console, th this is going to sound real weird, but I feel like we've reached a stage where you can spot a failed console coming a mile away. Oh, the Ouya. I mean, I remember when that got mm -hmm. uh, yeah. announced and there was like somebody at my work who was like so excited for it. He was like, yeah, I kickstarted it and it's going to be like this revolutionary thing. And I was like, that thing looks like hot trash like that is not <laughs> gonna work out like <laughs> which one was ouya and which one was on live on live I, was... I had on live on live i gave away a euro game yeah, yeah I, I stood in i stood in line at a convention and got one for free so, never so, used it but took the back on live was the like control. proto uh sort of like stadia um yeah. or yeah, you know one. ps now 
Ouya was basically just like an Android uh, uh, console so in like a little Ouya, tiny Ouya, box. Ouya was a little box that had the game Towerfall in it. And then you played yes. Towerfall until you were done with Towerfall. And then you yeeted the Ouya as far as you could oh, away from you. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I, just, I just looked at the controller. Yeah. I remember yeah. they made a big deal about the controller. There was they were like, yeah, we like, you know, there was like footage of them like hand carving like wood blocks to try and like yeah. testing out the ergonomics and then I remember when it came out and everyone's like this controller is trash. Awful. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we had kickstarted eight and a half million dollars yeah it was massive and it, it failed huge. miserably like mm -hmm. i think they set up a studio as well at some mm. point i might be imagining it but also when was like the last time that we had a successful new console was it when xbox decided to make a mm. console and compete with playstation I nintendo i think like, soldier boys yeah, Soldier Boy. Is that, is that successful? According no, to Soldier Boy, Soldier Boy said that both Microsoft and Nintendo are trying to buy it, and I'm like, no, they're fucking not. Don't lie, Soldier Boy. <laughs> no one trusts you. No one believes you. Crank that and get out of it. Um, but yeah, I think there's kind of like scales of console now. Like I feel yeah. like you can do. You get. There's no console currently, I feel like, that can compete with Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, and let's say the PC. Like, those are done. But then you get, like, the tier below it, which is, like, the emulation consoles, which, Jean-Luc, you can definitely speak to way oh, more. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. the, the the emulation consoles are popping off right now. What's oh, the name oh, of the yeah. company that is doing them again? Uh, analog. Um, analog. Uh, the Analog. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, FPGA. Uh, they're, they're basically, like, yeah, they're they're trying to sort of like emulate the hardware of those uh systems um they they're they have this like they're probably the best in terms of that stuff i'd say there's like kind of like a tier list of like quality when mm. it comes to that kind of stuff like you know um but th they have they have this like uh because they're they're kind of more premium and in, in a little like smaller um i'd say in production they produce very very high quality stuff like the the plastic and and just the design on them is like super sleek feels good like that market is absolutely booming right now as far as mm. like retro stuff goes um i feel like we're in like a weird um like golden age of of uh retro stuff both in in like big market stuff but also like you know the community members making uh their own stuff like you know ever drives and um like home scalers for like playing older games on like uh um, on modern displays so that stuff's actually doing really well it's it's kind of interesting it's like y you can almost credit um uh nintendo for that i would say in some ways because they they kind of kicked it off i feel like with uh like the the snes mini um mm. or classic right it was called the classic not yeah, the mini. Classic. Um, oh that is not where i thought you were gonna go i thought you were gonna say you can thank nintendo because they refuse to put any of their yeah. old well, games I mean, on that, I mean, do, but but i do i, I do say. think <laughs> I think the popularity of those kind of brought back like an interest in retro games for some people. Mm. And then the community just kind of like said like, oh, like, yeah, that stuff's cool. But like, check out what we're doing over here. We have access to all this other stuff and you can play yeah. some real cool games that like will never end up, you know, like Nintendo's never going to touch or just isn't interested in touching. So um, yeah, that stuff's I feel like, fascinating. And, and that stuff is so high quality um, that it kind of like is 
in my mind, it is feels like a premium console. Um, it just doesn't have like the the machine behind it of releasing new games, developers, and that kind of stuff because it just uses what you already have and is already out there. Yeah. Um, and like I feel like if you slide into that market you have a better chance there's still some major duds in there like and then there's the tier below it which is like i feel like is what i have which is the ambenic stuff which is you know yeah yeah way way like it's way more like you know easier to just download firmwares and that kind of stuff and put your backups of games on there um, Mm -hmm. um and that that is like if you're in there you're fine i feel like if you're trying to be a top tier um console that's where you're failing and that's where like the atari vcs was not trying to be but it was like where atari is it was trying to muscle in to be like we're atari remember us we've got a brand new console and everyone shut up no one cares like like, and they carried on and released it and the vcs got you know ignored and ouya was like we're trying to do something different like but i feel like ouya was a slightly snake oil salesman about it and also kind of like you're trying to disrupt uh, a market that your product doesn't have i don't think you got the facilities for that big man in your console <laughs> just a misunderstanding um, like, of like what market they're trying to reach it was yeah, very strange like, yeah yeah it's very strange but yeah i, I think like you gotta you gotta like know your lane and if you try yeah. and you know go outside of that and punch above your weight, that's when you kind of fall apart. I didn't realize that Razer like bought Ouya. Oh really? In 2015. Mm, good, wow! Good. And the Kickstarter was 2012. So yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from David Jordan. Can you read this, please? Sure. Uh, Lucy reminded me of the saddest thing that Fast and Furious did to me. Oh, oh, this will be good. I was a senior in high school when Fast 7 came out, and a cute person from class asked me if I wanted to go see it the next day. I immediately said yes and realized I had never seen any of the movies. So I went to the store and found Fast 1 through 6 in the bargain bin and pulled an all-nighter catching up on the series. Excellent. Good, good, good. I quickly fell in love with the series and got hyped to watch it the next evening. I got to the theater and my date never showed up. (gasps) Wow. Wow. So I missed the first showing of Fast 7 and ended up watching the late showing alone and exhausted. I found out during the movie that Paul Walker had passed (gasps) away. Wow. (laughs) Due to the mixture of exhaustion and being sit up, that was quite an emotional whammy. Have any movies or games had outsized emotional impacts on y'all due to events that surrounded them first wow. off okay. like first that. off first off wow like that is that is <laughs> oh let's God. let's unpack this Firstly, who invites somebody and then ditches them like what why would they yeah, do that yeah, that's extremely chaotic energy but i will say if you're looking at a glass half full you probably wouldn't have watched the fast and furious movies mm-hmm. had you been invited and i bet you you can, you still think about the Fast and Furious movies every day, and it probably <laughs> empowers and uplifts you in yeah. various ways. And where so, is that person? Not in your thoughts, but the family. <laughs> Always in there. your thoughts. Family's forever. Exactly, family is also, forever. I'm very curious as to how they found out during the movie that Paul Walker had passed well, away. Probably maybe maybe the... they saw it on their phone because they, you know, late showing. No one's in. Yeah, the that's well, true. They. they I mean, you get to the ending and you're definitely like, oh, the ending says the ending is a has a the 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 movie tribute, but then at the end, I think it says like for Paul. Yeah, and yeah. I think like you're just 
that's got to be the weirdest feeling, like watching that yeah. and being like, "What are they do? Why are they doing this? What's happening?" Like, wh- <laughs> like watching that whole Fast scene doesn't make any time, sense though. if you don't know. <laughs> like, honestly, the saddest part of this for me is that I can see in my mind's eye, David, you standing at the cinema, like looking at the clock and going, "The movie's starting in ten minutes, and they're not here." And then keep going, and maybe they're just running late. And then they never show, so you miss that showing, and then you wait until you go see the other one. Aww. Which uh, my heart is, my heart breaks for you. Our heart breaks for you, man. And that person yeah. sucks for doing that. Don't ever do that. Yeah, don't do that. Like, don't be shitty. That's shitty. Yeah. Tell at the same time. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I think I can't. Heath Ledger, like Dark Knight. Like mm. I, I don't mm. think. I can't remember if it was if he died before or after the movie was released. I think, I think it, was it was before. before. It was right before. It was before. Wasn't it at the yeah. end of filming that he died? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But like, I remember watching that Batman movie, and obviously being being a huge. I'm a huge Batman fan, like massive. And I went into the movie. I like Begins, but I went into the movie with not super high expectations i you know at at any moment a batman a dc movie can and probably will let me down and then just being like absolutely floored by his performance as Mm. joker it's basically a cliche by now but like when that performance was on screen and people were watching it for the first time it was it was he was that character like Every other version of Joker fell away. And that is hard to do when Mark Hamill exists. Like, Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. ridiculous. Like, if you can make people forget that there's other Jokers, especially Mark Hamill, you you are, like, all-time great. And he did that. And then I think it was... The thing that really tore me up about it was, like, he never got... Thinking about him never being able to realize the impact or see the impact he had on fans of that character and that world and also never being able to accept the accolades for that yeah. role like because he would have surely won like the the awards he got the oscar yeah, yeah. Got the oscar. He, he did he got the he got the oscar right and just yeah. like he would have cleaned up more as well and the fact that he didn't get to see that like yeah. It's. I mean, it's like celebrity doesn't get achievement for his for his you know celebrity thing. But like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like he. If people talk about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker being impactful, it doesn't. It doesn't even hold a candle to Heath Ledger's depiction of the Joker, and that is the depiction of the Joker that redefined that character in so many yeah. ways. In the same way that, you know. Um, Adam West's Batman defined mm-hmm. um, uh, the the comics for a little while, and then like the the Schumacher movies made them darker, and then the animated series kind of redefined and kind of shaped Batman into what he is now. His Joker has done that for for DC and and Joker going forward, and the fact that he didn't get to see that was like, as a fan of Batman, I'm like that sucks, man. He'll mm-hmm. never know. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was that was my main one. That's a good one. Outsized emotional impacts. I must say, it wasn't the first time I watched them, but <clears throat> excuse me. Every time I now go back and watch 
Civil War or Endgame or Black Panther, and I see mm. Chadwick oh, like show yeah. up on the screen, I'm like, man, you did such a good job portraying this character, and you mm-hmm. just did not tell anyone like the level of pain yeah. that you were probably experiencing while doing it, and like dude you're amazing and like thank you for bringing to life a character that means so much to me who has like never really been super mainstream like there are plenty of people who like just knew who black panther was prior to his addition to the mcu but like he wasn't as mainstream a character as like Mm. superman or batman or spider-man or captain Mm. america or any of those characters so to see him like inspire this new generation and to see all of these like kids nowadays being like oh yeah black panther's my favorite superhero i'm Mm -hmm. like man dude thank you so much for doing what you did and Mm -hmm. i'm sorry that Mm -hmm. you felt you had to do it while internalizing all the pain that you were going through at the same time but god bless you yeah it's so it's so heartbreaking going back now because i remember the media at the time being like why does Chadwick Boseman hate people going up to him and going like Wakanda forever? And, you know, there were, there was memes of him like looking pretty miserable um, doing the Wakanda forever salute thing. And it's probably because he was in intense amounts of pain. Like there were all these um, uh, like stories about how thin he was and stuff. And it was like, you don't, you can never know what someone's pain is, especially when they are purposefully keeping something as huge and, like that to themselves and so it's really heartbreaking because a big thing as well that's come back is looking at the people have started sharing clips of sort of the last gamut of interviews that he did with the marvel cast Mm -hmm. and there are some really like terribly sad but very beautiful moments where he just kind of sits there and like some of the cast will kind of reach over and just like kind of i think there was one with paul bettany he just kind of reaches over and he just like looks at him and it's like are you okay like mm. and it's oh. so yeah. so sad to look As, back. Yeah. Oh. The 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 cruelness of the TikTok algorithm is that it will yeah. give you the things that you love the most and then it will throw a moment like that in there, like mm-hmm. a clip of that, mm-hmm. because you've liked a, f- a few Marvel things and it's like heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah. Sean Luke, anything for you? <sighs> nothing nothing that can, comes to mind offhand. Uh that's no like, worries. that impactful. Yeah. Uh, can yeah. can you read the next question, please? Then I can do that. Uh, this question is from Stephen M, uh, who wants to know. Uh, I'd love to know what y'all would do for a living if suddenly there were no professions related to gaming, journalism, oh, development, <laughs> retail, etc. What other career fields would interest each member of the GameSpot After Dark crew? Hmm. I've always wanted to do uh, prop making for for movies. I love watching. As a kid, I I would like always watch the behind the scenes of like any movie Mm -hmm. uh, we like rented or bought. And like, you know, I'd watch like obviously like Star Wars, like Jurassic Park, but just like seeing like the them like make like the lightsaber hills or you know like the the space guns and and stuff like um fifth element like i always just thought that stuff looked so cool and i was like i would love to get to like work behind the scenes and like build that stuff and i actually did like do a little bit of like prop making out of like um eva foam back in like college and 
Um, haven't done it in a while just because I don't have the space here in the Bay mm. Area, but uh, that's something I, I kind of want to get back to as like a fun hobby because I, I really like that stuff. Yeah. Jordan? Um... <sighs> I probably would... Uh, I really love... Uh, well, I do love anime, but I also really, really love Western animation, especially shows like She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, mm -hmm. Carmen Sandiego, ones that kind of deal with a bit... They're, like, clearly designed for kids, but they have, like, enough uh, content that someone like me can also really enjoy it. Um, and I haven't, Avatar. like... Avatar. Avatar is another one. I haven't done much creative or publish much creative writing recently, but I would love to like w be a part of working on something like that to be a part of like some animated show that it's like, Oh, I would love to make something that like the next generation of like 12 year old kids is like watching on Netflix or Hulu and having like a good time and learning to not be a terrible person by the life lessons that this show is like delivering to you. Uh, mm. That would be fun. That would be dope. Yeah. I think I'd be the same. Like I, I always, I always enjoyed telling stories and writing stories and it just so happened. Like I focused that into video games and try and do that as much as possible. So if I couldn't do that, I guess, I mean, no related to gaming. So I guess I wouldn't be able to write a game, but you know, I, I'd work on writing. I'd love to write a, I mean, I would love to write a game, but I'd love to write a series in the same way or write a movie or work on writing a movie, a TV show, or even a comic. Um, I think like, I, I reckon I, I could do that. Um, write a Batman comic, Tam. Dude, I, I'd love to. I need to. Hey, convince, I know a guy. I know. I need to convince Greg Miller to convince, <laughs> to convince Gary, Gary Witter. Yeah. To convince DC into letting this random. That's only a few dude, degrees of separation. Yeah, You're practically look. there. Let this random dude who, from London who's moved to the Bay Area write a Batman. I'd do it, DC, in a heartbeat. And I'd write a fucking good one as well. Lucy? Uh, so I would love to work kind of similar to what you've all said, where it's still in a creative field, but I would love to be like running like production on movies and TV shows. I think John, like what you were saying about prop stuff for me, a very formative, um, movie, well, very formative book and very formative movie series about Lord of the Rings and just oh, yeah. kind of, um, I can't even imagine how that production like got off the ground you know filming three movies back to back uh over 18 months and then you've got like a year or so of pre-production like just being in the thick of that having to be to use resume terms uh, detail oriented <laughs> but across like a huge production like that or no you know what i'd love to be even though i am by no means a disney adult I think an Imagineer would be a really cool job. Oh, that would be pretty dope. That would be really yeah. cool. Like, I'm not one of those people who like knows everything about Disney, and I'm like desperate to go to Disney. I enjoy going to Disney for sure, but like, mm. I think Imagineers are just like super fucking cool. Like, we went to we went to Disneyland with um, an Imagineer a couple of years ago, who's a friend of our friend Jacks, and uh, 
she was just like, oh yeah, I'm working on this ride. And like, if you look down here, there's all of this, like, and there's a secret thing over here. And then this is, this is the reason that we do the things like, cause that's really what I love doing is like, this is, I, I like to see behind the curtain. And so, mm. yeah. All, all I'm saying is just remember, there's an incredibly spurious rumor about HBO adapting Bloodborne to TV. All I'm saying. What? Is, if we is, all got together... It just hit me up, HBO. I already know how to do it. We'll I make the sets. We'll write yeah, it. I'll, I'll, I'll design <laughs> yeah, the trick weapons. I'm on production, guys. Team. I've got spreadsheets. I yeah. have a clipboard. I, I I've have, got a headset. We're good. We're good. We'll make. I've genuinely thought about how to adapt Bloodborne to a TV show, and I think I could do it. Um, so hit me up, HBO slash From Software slash Sony, if you need us. <laughs> Get the guy who made those Bloodborne comics. It was excellent excellent Bloodborne <laughs> comics i don't know if you've read that you've you've definitely i've, read, I've read them okay. i've read uh, yeah i've read them um yeah. Tam's like of course right. i've read them <laughs> think you're talking <laughs> yeah i was like that's a stupid <laughs> question never mind <laughs> uh final question comes from jacob mccourt um who says with ea's announcement of mid-july press events i need to know do you think that we will ever get back to a time where publishers put this big summer events in the same month mm. i don't think so no, no, I don't think so. There's no reason to. Like, why? I say 2020 tell them that it's like, oh, we don't actually have to show up to everyone else's event. Why would you want to share <laughs> the spotlight? Why share the limelight? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think with um, the with the down not downfall, but with the with the change in kind of different um, uh, events like packs etc etc i, I think the like, downfall of global society. <laughs> global society, yeah. But like with with E3. Skipping a year, people really reconsidered their involvement in it. And I think the fact that that happened, um, everyone realized, why are we sharing the limelight with everyone else when we can do this on our own? And I feel like that's the way it's going to go more and more. I think E3 will but, continue to exist um, yeah. and it should. But um, I think E3 changes. 2022 is going to be big. Yeah, I think because, it's going to be popping. Because it'll be in person and it'll be, you know, fingers crossed the worst of COVID, etc. will have happened and things are sort of going to be back on track a bit. Or at least if we're also working from home, pipelines of, and like production stuff is figured out. And so like, but also being back in person, I think they're really going to want to capitalize on having the excitement of just like people being able to go to e3 and paxes and so i think shows next year will be more important but i don't know if there's still going to be huge announcements like i, say there I, could I, I be. think like maybe the series yeah. x and ps5 like production yeah. on those like will have increased by 2022 so xbox and playstation will be much more maybe people can buy them about, by like then. check out all of these games coming to our new consoles there's the, the i think the big moment where we know things are truly truly different and things are a little more safe is going to be announced naturally where else at the game awards when jeff Keighley will bring out once again the executives of the big three and they'll line up as they did two or three years ago, stare down into the camera and then say, COVID is dead and kiss each other on the mouth. And we're going to be like, hey, <laughs> we're free. We're free. Anyways, uh, look forward to that, everyone. Another Jeff Keighley special. <laughs> I'm such a weeb. You say big three and I immediately thought of My Hero Academia. I'm like, wait, yeah. why is like Mirio showing up at the Game Awards? <laughs> There you have it. Another episode of GameSpot After Dark in the can. 
Thank you, everyone, for joining me, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Jean-Luc, where can people find you, and what are you up to? You can find what me. What are you up to? <laughs> what are you up to, Jean-Luc, you <laughs> cheeky little boy? <laughs> you can find me at Jean-Luc Seipke, and uh, I just all things Mass Effect. It's going to be... Uh, that's going to be pretty much all I'm doing for the next couple of weeks, I feel like, outside of uh, a slowly uh, helping out behind the scenes on uh, production stuff that we got going on. Speaking of, you know, uh, E3, that that's happening soon. It's four weeks away, dude. Four weeks away. <sighs> oh, no. Uh, but yeah, going to be working on that. Uh, Jordan? You can find me on Twitter at JMRamay. Like John Luke, I'm probably just going to be really focused on Mass Effect for the next few weeks. I imagine the only thing that could possibly tear me away is if Team Cherry just suddenly announced that Hollow Knight Silk Song was coming out right now. That's like probably the only thing. Oh, come on, Team Cherry. Sort it out. Lucy. Oh, they did. I'm on Twitter at Lucy James Games. Uh helping out with mass effect stuff what am i doing you're putting together play for all with me and <laughs> yeah i was about to say yeah we are working charge. on that together <laughs> not in charge uh but i i do have a role in uh booking that uh yep <laughs> that's what i'll be doing as well as disintegrating into a pile of dust <laughs> Uh, I will be, uh, you'll find me on Twitter at Tomorrow H. I will be sweeping up Lucy's disintegrated <laughs> remains and reconstituting her because I need her to help me put together Play for All and the E3 coverage that that will involve, along with Jean Luc, who, as mentioned, is working on production, and Jordan, who will also be essential to covering mm -hmm. um, the event. And we'll also be working on the Cherry event, which is coming back again oh. this year. Going to have lots of cool guests and surprises. Uh, we're going to raise a lot of money, hopefully. Um, and it's going to be fun and exciting. Other than that, uh, I'll be working in the background on some Mass Effect stuff um, and the reviews going up on the website and various other things. But yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.